Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we now come together to hear the word of Christ, we ask you for your help. We ask you, Father, that you would work in our hearts so that we would receive this word from you, that we would know it is the truth, that we, Father, then would respond with faith and obedience. But Lord, we recognize that that will only happen if you are at work in us. So help us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Christmas is such a wonderful time to get together with our families. Uh, yesterday, we were back in, in Iowa uh, with my parents and my sisters and brother-in-laws and my niece and nephew and even the fiancé of my niece was there also. And next Saturday, we'll be with uh, Greta's folks and her sisters and their families in Iowa as well, and we are very thankful to each have Christian families who really do celebrate the true meaning of Christmas when we get together. Our families recognize that it is about Jesus, that the eternal Son of God took on flesh and was born into the world as a baby. And that was truly a momentous event in the history of the world. And without his coming, we would not have the assurance of salvation today. And Philippians 2 points to the great significance of that event. In verses 5 through 11, Paul summarizes here the great saving work of Christ Jesus, particularly that he emptied himself by, being taking, uh, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, it says, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The apostle points to the mission of Jesus Christ, and he calls those in this local church in the city of Philippi to live their lives in the same way. Have this mind among yourselves, he says in verse 5, that was also, or which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this really shows us that when Christ came, he didn't just come to make a difference in your personal life or to bring salvation for just those in your family or my family. He came to create a people. He came to call out and to form a people. 
his people, what we now call the church. And here in, in this letter, the church is being called to live like Christ. We are being called to live like Christ. But how do you do that? What does that look like, to live like Christ? Well, these verses we are focused on this morning, verses 12 through 16, provide us with a clear and concise answer to that question. Those who belong to Christ are to be distinct from those who aren't. The church is called to be holy, that is to to be set apart, different from those who are outside of the church, from those who don't follow Jesus as Lord. And, and, And we are shown in these few verses what some of those distinctions look like, and so we can then test ourselves and see, are we truly a part of this people that God is forming for himself through Christ? Where might we be aligning ourselves too closely with the world rather than with Christ? What does it look like for us to live like Christ? And as I introduced this series at the beginning of Advent, we are are coming to a conclusion then to the question, how are we to live in light of the incarnation of the Son of God? How are we to live in light of Christ coming into the world. So our main theme then from these verses is that Christians are called to persevere in pursuing personal holiness throughout our lives. We're called to persevere in pursuing personal holiness throughout our lives. And I think we can sum up what the church is being called to do in order to live like Christ in three words revealed here in these Verses, three commands, three action steps that help us to understand how we can live our lives like Christ with God's help and by his grace. Those three words are work, shine, and hold. Work, shine, and hold. So first, work. In verses 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more, In my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So work is uh, the word that's featured in these two verses here, uh, three times it's mentioned, but we are to notice it is both a command for us and a description of what God has done and is doing in the lives of those who belong to Christ. We are reminded at the very beginning of verse 12 that this exhortation is directed towards believers, towards those who have already been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are referred to as my beloved by Paul, those who have always obeyed. So we are are to note that these verses are not directed towards anyone in the world, you know, anyone that's, that's not already in Christ by faith. We are, we are not being taught the way of salvation here in these verses. We are instead being shown the way of sanctification. That is the way of growth in our spiritual life. The pursuit of holiness, as it's been called. 
So when we read that we are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we are to be assured that Paul is not teaching that our eternal salvation depends upon us and what we do. No, this instead is directed towards those who have already been justified before God through their faith in Christ and what Christ has already accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. You see, the New Testament refers to salvation in three different respects for believers. It it talks about Christians have been saved in the past, referring to justification, uh, being declared righteous before God when when one first comes to to have faith in Jesus Christ. And this is a a once and for all salvation from God's condemnation that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And the Holy Spirit then applies to us through our faith in Christ. The New Testament also speaks of the coming day of our salvation in the future. When Christians will be saved, ultimately, from the presence um, uh, of sin and the world. That's also known as as glorification. When when believers will come into the presence of God and will be glorified and pure, saved to sin no more, as William Cooper puts it in his great hymn. And the salvation that's being referred to here in verse 12 is known as sanctification. That is, being saved now, in the present, from the power and practice of sin. It is a process of of putting sin to death in our hearts. And this kind of salvation was what the Philippian Christians were being called to, to work out with fear and trembling, to pursue personal holiness in their lives by overcoming sin and temptation by faith and discipline. There is a a humorous song written almost 15 years ago by Andy Gullihorn that insightfully describes an attitude that has plagued our culture recently. The song is titled, Nobody Wants to Work. The chorus goes like this. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work for it. If it don't come easy, it ain't worth the wait. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work for it. Welcome to the new old-fashioned way. With labor uh, shortages and, and almost every business advertising job openings and even offering fairly high starting hourly wages, it seems like an unwillingness to work is endemic of many people these days. But it is not to be so with believers. We are called here in this passage to work. To work. The word for work means to give a continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. And what is it that we are called to give that sustained, strenuous effort towards? Well, look back there at verse 27 of chapter 1. So verse 127. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So our personal lives are to show that we have really been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, that we are progressively overcoming the power and influence of sin in our lives. We will strenuously battle with sin and temptation by being obedient to the word of Christ. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when you hear fear and trembling, we are to remember, it's not the fear that drives us away from God. It's rather the fear that takes God and what he says seriously. Much like when, when I was young, I had a healthy fear of my father and my grandfather. I used to spend a lot of time with both of them, especially in the summertime, uh, while they, they, they you know, did diff different projects working on the farm, and, and I knew not to fool around in their presence. I knew to listen and take what they instructed me to do seriously. It wasn't like I was afraid to be with them. I loved being with them. I looked forward to it all school year to be able to spend time with them once school got out. But I respected them and I tried to please them. I wanted to please them. And that's what is meant here by fear and trembling. Take God seriously. Serve him. Please him. Honor him. And in verse 13, we're shown the reason for why we are able to work out our own salvation. It's because, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the word for there, at the beginning of, of, of that verse, uh, it could also be translated because. It is because God is already at work in Christians that believers are able to work out their own salvation from the power and practice of sin. We are to work out what God has already worked in. If you desire to grow in holy living, if you really want to be through with sin in your life, if you are actually taking steps to keep yourselves from temptation, if you have been consistently seeking to know God and his ways better by reading, studying, memorizing scripture, then it is only because God has been doing a miraculous work in your heart, transforming your desires and strengthening you for the fight. So be encouraged, Christian. God is at work in you. It is his pleasure to do so. The, the prophet Ezekiel uh, speaks of uh, the new covenant which the Lord Jesus brought about with his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And he says this in uh, Ezekiel 11. So this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. God says, And I will give them, that is my people, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, that is a stubborn, hard heart that's unwilling to, to bend to God, to, to uh, uh, unwillingness to fear God and to honor him. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them 
a heart of flesh that is a soft, humble, obedient heart, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. It's God who's doing this. It's God who's doing this work in our hearts. It's God who's given us this transformed heart. So Paul was seeking, seeking, or he was seeing the work of God in the lives of these Philippian believers, for they came to believe the gospel. They they were not stubbornly hard-hearted against the gospel. They received it humbly, admitting their sin, admitting their need for salvation. And as he says about them in verse 12, they have always obeyed. It doesn't mean they've always obeyed throughout their lives. It means as, as God changed their hearts, they came to honor his word and do it. And so the question for each of us is, is God at work in our lives? <coughs> have, we begin, have, have we been born again so that we have repented of our sins and now desire to obey the Lord and pursue personal holiness in our lives? Have you made a firm, uncompromising commitment to obey the word of God? And when you fail to obey, when you fail to do so, do you take seriously the Lord's call to repent and then take the, ne- the necessary steps to correct your behavior? If you are a Christian, then you are called to pursue growth in holiness empowered by God's transforming work within you. And then verses 14 and 15, shine is our word, shine. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So here's where uh, we get the call to personal holiness. To be holy, again, means to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different from those around you. And and here the believers who follow Jesus Christ are called to stand out from a world that is crooked and twisted. That is a world that has has lost its way. A world that has refused to follow the straight and narrow way of God and instead seeks to twist and make crooked that path which always leads them away from God and thus away from truth and the life. Now, uh, could it be just a bit surprising what, what Paul says about the precise way that those in the church are to be distinct from the world? You know, just, just how are we to show we are set apart from the crooked and twisted generation? Well, will it be our avoidance of morally questionable Entertainment options. Well, that's part of it, I suppose. Uh, does, it, does it say here that, that Christians are to set themselves apart by all of the good charity work that they do for the less fortunate, especially around Christmas time? Well, again, that, that's definitely something good to do, but 
if you look around, many, many who aren't Christians do the same thing, especially around Christmas. So instead, verse, verse 14 says that the Christian's growth in holiness will be primarily displayed by our lack of grumbling and disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, grumbling and disputing, or as other translations have it, complaining or arguing, is something that accurately describes the generation that we are living in today. Can you think of a more accurate description of the majority of the content that's put up on social media? Or about, or about what dominates the conversations on your work site, or in the office, or behind the counter. You know, grumbling here refers to the, the murmuring or muttering that usually takes place under one's breath or in hushed tones between people, but it can't help but be noticed by others. Disputing refers to the outright arguing or debating produced by a contentious spirit. This doesn't mean that Christians or church members are never to ask a question or express a concern that they might have about something. Rather, the issue is the attitude of the heart and the tone of the voice when expressing that concern. We know the difference. We know the difference. In the midst of a world that's characterized so much by grumbling and disputing, Genuine, growing Christians can, can really stand out as lights in the midst of a world that is so self-centered and so ungrateful to the God who created them and who sustains their lives. We are provided with some direction and help in chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians. Because, you know, some people might wonder, well, if you're not allowed to grumble and complain, then what else is there to talk about? <laughs> what else is there to, you know, to to talk about with, with one another at work. Well, Paul gives us some help in, in verse 8 of chapter 4. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What so often is on the forefront of our minds is, is what we don't like, is what we're not satisfied with, what frustrates us. And friends, we live in a godless culture that encourages you to just let it out. Just get it off your chest. You know, vent your frustrations. It used to be that we'd only you know, do that to the people you know, closest to us in our families, those who knew us best. Now we do it on the internet, for the whole world to see. But those of us who have come to know our sin, who have come to know our guilt before a holy God, and have put our hope for our salvation in the Lord Jesus, we are called to be different. We're called to be different from the world. For the Lord didn't just complain about our sin and disobedience, but instead... He lowered himself and essentially said, put the blame for that on me. Put the blame for that on me. I'll suffer for their sins. I'll suffer for all the complaining that they do against you, God. Put 
their sin and blame on me. And he willingly suffered the horrible condemnation of the cross for us. If anyone has a right to complain for the way he was treated, it's Jesus. But what does God's word say? He opened not his mouth. If your life has really been transformed by God's love and grace, then you are to respond to things differently. Again, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Rather than complaining about your job or about the service you receive or about our governing leaders, or even about what the last two years have been like, think instead about what has been true, what has been honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, and praise and thank God for these things. And do all things in your work, in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships, in the church, without grumbling and disputing, and if you do, you will certainly shine as a light in this dark world that's under God's judgment. And finally, uh, verse 16, our word is hold. Hold. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now there are slightly different translations for what we are called to do with the word of life in verse 16, that's because it really can be translated in, in two slightly different ways. In, in Bible translation, when the meaning of the word can be translated in more than one way, well, you depend upon the context for how it should be translated. You know, what, what is, actually makes sense here according to the context. And, and in the context of this passage, both ways work pretty well. Both ways make a lot of sense. They are fitting. Uh, so my translation, the ESV, has it as holding fast to the word of life. That's what most modern English translations uh, have it as. Uh, holding firmly, keeping hold of, you know, not letting go of the word of life. Keeping the message of the gospel central in how you live out your daily life. But it could also just as easily be translated like the King James Version does, holding forth the word of life. As in holding it out in order to share it with others, proclaiming the gospel to others, calling them to receive the word of life themselves. So both translations work because you really can't do one without also doing the other. If you are truly holding fast to the gospel, then you will also be holding it out for others to know for that is the very nature of the gospel. The gospel is good news. And news is meant to be believed and shared. If you are one that has heard the good news of salvation in, in Jesus Christ and have believed it, then you will want to both hold on to that message and hold it out uh, to all others. If we really believe the message that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, and that you are not right with God, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, if you are not right with God through, through Jesus Christ, then you are under condemnation and will suffer God's wrath in hell unless you repent and come to faith in 
Christ's saving work on your behalf. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the message. Well, then we will hold out that word of life. If we know all the world is enslaved to sin and we know the way to be set free, well, we will hold fast to that message as our key to freedom ourselves and we will hold out that key for others to receive for their freedom as well. So we, we may even go to the farthest corners of the world to share that key with the lost. So evangelism is not something that, that, that comes naturally to anyone, you know. Uh, your personality, yes, does have a role to play in it if you are more comfortable talking with other people. Uh, anyway, that, you know, that, that can definitely help you to talk with others about Jesus, but, but not necessarily. The primary thing is not your confidence in your own ability to talk with others or your, your personality, whatever that might be, but rather your confidence in the power of the news, the power of the message. The main reason we tend not to share the word of life with others is because well, we really don't believe that that message will have any impact on the people that we're talking with. So instead, we, we, we put our confidence in what? We, we, we put our confidence, you know, in being a nice person, being a good friend, doing nice things for, for other people, thinking that's what really will make the difference. That's what's really going to reach them. That's where, where the power is. But God's Word is telling us here, that may be a good way to treat people, of course, you know, those, those may be good things, but true spiritual life will only come to others through holding forth the word of life, not the works of life. Christ has already accomplished the works of life through his selfless obedience and willing death and his powerful resurrection from the dead. And it is the message of that saving work that will give life to crooked and twisted souls in this world. So we are then shown that we are to persevere in this pursuit of holiness all the way through our lives until the day of Christ. That is the day of the Lord's return or the day of the coming judgment. Paul is looking forward to, to that day here in verse 16, as every Christian does, but he is hoping that on that day his labor among the Philippian church will be shown to be fruitful that these believers would prove that they really did receive the gospel and that their lives were transformed by it. And the way that will be proven is by how they persevered in spiritual growth all the way to the end. And so friends, I've had the privilege of walking with many believers who were at the, the end of their lives here with us. And I have been so encouraged by those believers who were continuing to take God's call on their lives seriously to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. They, they labored until the end to know God more, to obey his word, to do what they could to share the word of life with others. Just the other day I was reminded of a dear saint that died uh, 10 years ago now uh, with uh, the, un the unusual name of Fru. Fru. Fru was a delightful older gentleman 
uh, who was truly a servant in the church that I served in Iowa. Uh, he served there as an elder, for he was highly respected as a spiritual leader within the congregation, although he always thought of himself as not that wise, not as godly as he ought to be. Fru had a hunger for the word and was a faithful participant in a men's theological reading group that I led each Friday morning during the school year. He never missed a meeting. I remember the day when, when Fru called me to tell me that he really needed to talk with me. And I knew something was, was pretty serious when he, when he called. He, he then came to church immediately and told me the very sad news that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, pretty far along, stage four, and, and that he was just going to, to let it take its course. He did not want to make his remaining days miserable with chemo treatments. And we cried together. And after a while of, of doing that, he, he, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I want to finish strong. Help me, Pastor, to finish strong. I told him I was confident he would finish strong. Not because I was his pastor, but because of the one who I knew was at work in him. And I opened up Philippians 1, and I turned to verse 6, and I read him this verse. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My friends, he is faithful to complete that work. Fru still came to our Friday morning's uh, theological reading group until he was too weak to come, and in his last weeks, whenever people would visit him, he would hold forth the word of life to them, testifying of Christ's mercy in saving him and providing for him, and he still sought to grow in his faith all the way until the end. And brothers and sisters, that is what we are being called to here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling with the full confidence that it is God who is at work in you. And shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. I'll leave you with an old hymn written by Thomas Kelly that will encourage us to press on in our work of trusting and obeying the Lord. When we cannot see our way, let us trust and still obey. He who bids us forward go cannot fail the way to show. Though enwrapped in gloomy night, where he is, there is all light. When he calls us, why delay? They are happy who obey. Be it ours then while we're here, him to follow without fear. Where he calls us there to go, what he bids us, that to do. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we pray for your help that you would 
Lord, just continue to, to show us your grace and your mercy day by day as we seek to obey your word and to grow in our trust in what you say. Lord, I pray more and more we will witness the spiritual growth in everyone here in this church as we seek to hold fast to the word of life and hold it forth, hold it out to others, that they may also come to know Christ and the salvation and eternal life that's found only in him. We pray this in the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.